Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. On with the show. Content warning. Today's episode is about genocide, and it contains mention of murder and rape. Hi again. Welcome to This Day in History class, where history waits for no one. The day was April 7th, 1994. The Rwandan armed forces and Hutu militia groups called the Interahamwe and the Impuza Mugambi set up roadblocks and went around to houses killing Tutsis and moderate Hutu politicians. The Hutus were the ethnic majority in Rwanda, and the Tutsis were the ethnic minority. Tensions between the ethnic groups had been brewing for decades after they were stirred by Belgian rule during Rwanda's colonial period. That conflict came to a head in April 1994, when the Rwandan military responded to the killing of the Rwandan and Burundi presidents with months of brutal murder. The genocide would last 100 days into July. Somewhere around 800,000 Rwandans were killed, and millions more were displaced. Hostilities between the Hutus and the Tutsis go back decades before the Rwandan genocide. During the First World War, Germany lost possession of Rwanda-Urundi, as the colony was known. Rwanda-Urundi then became a protectorate governed by Belgium. During this colonial era, the Germans and the Belgians disrupted the traditional relationship between the Hutus and the Tutsis, which allowed social mobility between the higher-status Tutsis and the lower-status Hutus. The Belgians began issuing identity cards to people, labeling them by their ethnic group. And the Belgians treated the Tutsis like their favorite child, giving them access to Western-style education and using them to enforce Belgian rule. But by the late 1950s, the Hutu political movement had gained ground. The Party for the Emancipation of the Hutus formed, and the Hutus put out a manifesto calling for more representation, considering their majority status. In November 1959, the Hutus rebelled against the Belgians and Tutsis, killing hundreds and causing thousands to flee to nearby countries. Over the next few years, the Tutsis lost power while the Hutus gained it, and tensions as well as ethnic violence increased. By the time Rwanda separated from Burundi and gained its independence from Belgium in 1962, hundreds of thousands of Tutsis had fled to escape the ethnic conflict. With this newly instated Hutu president and the Hutu government, the violence against Tutsis escalated. On the other hand, Tutsi refugees began to target and attack the Hutu government. And sadly, that cycle continued, with Tutsis attacking Hutus to regain power, Hutus attacking in retaliation for the Tutsis' retaliatory violence, and more refugees leaving the country for places like Burundi, Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Tanzania, and Uganda. In the late 1980s, the Rwandan Patriotic Front, or RPF, formed. It was made of mostly Tutsi refugees, but it did include some Hutus. In 1990, after the RPF invaded Rwanda from Uganda, a civil war broke out. The Rwandan army was training civilian militias, Hutu President Juvenal Habiabrimana and the RPF President 
signed a power-sharing accord, and the United Nations was sent to Rwanda to monitor the peace agreement. But things weren't getting better. The president stalled on creating a power-sharing government, and officials' efforts for peace were subverted by Hutu extremists bent on killing Tutsis and moderate Hutus. By 1994, there were more than 7 million people in Rwanda, which, broken down into ethnic groups, was about 85% Hutu, 14% Tutsi, and 1% Twa. The Twa are pygmy people. On April 6, 1994, a plane carrying President Habiyarimana, seven staffers, and three crew members was shot down near the Kigali airport. It's not clear who shot down the plane. Some people say leaders of the Rwandan Patriotic Front are to blame, while others say Hutu extremists were responsible. Regardless, this attack set off the genocide of Tutsis and moderate Hutus that began the next day. Radio broadcasts blasted propaganda against the Tutsis. The prime minister and 10 of her peacekeepers were murdered. Belgian troops were withdrawn soon after the massacre. Hundreds of thousands of women were raped and hundreds of thousands were murdered. In May, the RPF took over the presidential palace and the genocide ended in July when the RPF gained control of the country. The First and Second Congo Wars developed in the aftermath of the genocide. Trials for genocide suspects began in 1996, and a local court system was established to address the backlog of cases. The court system was eventually closed after issues with its operation were raised. And the UN peacekeepers, US, UK, Belgium, France, and the rest of the international community have been accused of not doing enough to stop the genocide. There are hundreds of thousands of survivors, and many organizations have formed to support them. The United Nations named April 7th the International Day of Reflection on the 1994 Rwanda Genocide. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. We'd love it if you left us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. Hello, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that flips through the book of history and tears out a single page. The day was April 7, 1963. The Yugoslav parliament approved a new constitution, and Tito was proclaimed president for life of the newly renamed Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. Tito was born Josip Broz in Croatia. He took the name Tito later in life. During World War I, he served in the Austro-Hungarian army, and he was in a prisoner of war camp for a while after being captured by the Russians. He later joined the Bolshevik Red Guards during the Russian Civil War. The Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes was formed in 1918. It included Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and most of Croatia and Slovenia. In 1929, it officially became known as the Kingdom of Yugoslavia. 
1920, Tito returned to Croatia, which was then part of the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes. He soon became involved with the Communist Party of Yugoslavia. In 1928, while he was in Zagreb, he was sentenced to five years in prison for communist activities. He was released in March of 1934. By 1937, he was appointed Secretary General of the Communist Party of Yugoslavia, despite the fact that Soviet leader Joseph Stalin had been purging members of the Communist Party of Yugoslavia. Tito rebuilt the Communist Party of Yugoslavia. During World War II, it became a powerful political and military organization. In 1941, the Axis powers occupied and partitioned Yugoslavia. Tito ordered the Communist Party to begin guerrilla activity against Axis forces. The resistance that he organized was called the National Liberation Partisan Detachments, also known as the Partisans. But civil war soon broke out between the partisans, the Serbian royalists known as the Chetniks, and the pro-fascist Ustasha. Despite this, by late 1941, the resistance movement had liberated nearly half the country. By 1943, the Communist Party of Yugoslavia's membership was at 250,000 people. The Allies chose to support the partisans rather than Yugoslavia's king, Peter II. Tito's followers established a communist government known as the National Liberation Committee, and Tito was elected its president and field marshal. In 1945, Tito declared that the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia had replaced the monarchy as the government of the country, and he created a communist regime for Yugoslavia modeled after the Soviet Union. From 1945 to 1953, Tito acted as prime minister and minister of defense in the government. He enacted a dictatorship that used the secret police force to remove opposition, and he declared a five-year plan to industrialize Yugoslavia, though he delayed collectivizing agriculture because he thought that peasants may lead an uprising that would cause mass starvation. And Tito also put into effect a constitution that divided Yugoslavia into six republics, plus the regions of Kosovo and Vojvodina. In addition to this, Tito pursued an anti-Western foreign policy. Tito faced serious conflicts with Stalin, who expelled Yugoslavia from the International Association of Communist Parties in 1948. He even ordered Tito's assassination. But Tito had the support of the Yugoslav people, the Communist Party of Yugoslavia, and the West. He soon began to break up the central authority of the country's government and economy and moved away from communist policies. He established workers' councils, transferred authority from the national government to local ones, established new legal and prison systems, and started arresting fewer people for political reasons. Tito was named president of Yugoslavia in 1953. A decade later, on April 7, 1963, he was proclaimed president for life. He ruled until his death in May of 1980. He was replaced by a collective presidency. Tito's presidency was viewed as authoritarian, and he repressed and purged his political opponents. But Yugoslavia under his rule was considered the most liberal communist state in Europe. Though he had overwhelming support in Yugoslavia and other countries around the world, he left Yugoslavia with a lot of overseas debt and growing ethnic tensions. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. 
feel free to tell me something new you learned about history by sending me an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You're also welcome to leave us a message on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks as always for listening to the show and we'll see you again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.